morning, you, you have notes that you actually have to take this morning. So you have a blank piece of paper, and your note-taking skills will be tested. You don't get to cheat off of the notes that are given today. Uh, just for a couple of reasons, didn't feel like the notes fit the setting. I want to title the message this morning, Skillfully Remembering God's Faithfulness. Skillfully Remembering God's Faithfulness. Everybody can remember with me, August 21st, 2005 was the last time we were here. Actually, you weren't, you weren't right here. You were, you were over there somewhere about, I don't know, 60 feet in this direction somewhere. I think the pulpit actually goes somewhere over there. The church faced that way. Uh, so this, we were actually sitting in the neighbor's houses, I think, at this point. But that was the last time we were here. Peter preached the last message that would be in that old building. And then we would spend... 160 weeks away. 250 plus services have been held away from here before we were able to return here today. And I don't know what we have, 40 plus name storms. I guess that's a stat you got to throw in there, right? Some things have changed over the last three years in our lives. Some of you guys went away single and you came back married. How many of you guys stand up if you got married during the exile? Go ahead, stand up if you got married. It's a bunch of you guys. We had a bunch of folks get married. How about uh, those of you who added children into our mix? How many of you guys have had children in the last three years? Let me see you guys stand up. Anybody add more than one child in the last three years? Let me see. Yeah? Yeah, all right. <laughs> Thanks for populating the nursery. I'm grateful. Some of you guys, three years ago, didn't know the Lord. How many of you guys got saved in the last three years? Let me see you guys stand up. Yeah. Along the, the joys, I mean, we, we've had folks that have resettled. You know, the last Sunday attendance was about 650 people on August 21st, 2005. I don't know what we have today. We may actually be close to matching that number, it looks like. Maybe exceeding it, probably. Um, but some of our folks have resettled. You know, we've had a big number of folks who are not with us anymore. And that's a, a, a sad feature. There's some who have gone on with the Lord who are not here this morning. And, um, you know, Mary Balser, as Jeff mentioned, Mary had been in this church for many, many years. And uh, we will sorely miss her. I saw Sue Heffernan walking in this morning and we miss Joe not being here. Um, Kevin Harrison. I shouldn't do this, should I? <laughs> But God has, God has met us in this season as well. And I want to make sure that we're aware of how God has met us during this season of the last three years. You know, the Bible uses a term that I'm going to use today, the term sojourn. 
That's not a term that's commonly in your vocabulary, sojourn, that we sojourn in places. The word actually just means a temporary stay. And there are aspects of our lives that have involved temporary stays. A lot of us know a lot about evacuations. That's a that's a sojourn. You go temporarily stay somewhere else. We've had temporary stays where whether we were in one church for a couple of months, another church for a few more months, another church for a couple of years. I think we were in one church for one one day. Uh, we were in my house for one meeting. We've kind of sojourned. We've moved from place to place over the last few years. And, you know, life has sojourn built into it. And so what I want to share today is, is not just about us being back in this location, uh, faithfully and skillfully remembering God's faithfulness is something that needs to be done in our lives on a regular basis. Because if you'll just revisit your own history personally, I bet you can think of where it is that, that your life found a temporary stay. Something went on in your life. You went through a divorce. You had a tragic loss of someone in your life. Uh, There was a financial season of your life where things just changed drastically. And there was a sojourn in that moment where you were having a temporary stay in that place. And what we need to do as the people of God is learn how to remember when we are in moments of sojourn and actually when we come out of them as well. And so today I want us to learn a lesson from probably one of the, the most historic characters in the whole Bible. And that would be the man Joseph in the Old Testament. Remember, Joseph was a man who sojourned. He sojourned away from his family into a foreign country. And he would, he would be one of many folks in the Bible who experienced that sojourn. Abraham sojourned in Egypt, went down there during a, a famine that took place. Israel ends up going down into Egypt, also driven by a famine. Interesting, famines famines are weather-related activities, right? We've just experienced a Katrina sojourn uh, because of a weather-related issue that's been in our lives. You know, looking at you guys, I mean, I'm seeing some of you are, you know, Vic and Martha just are able to move back, um, just sojourning in Houston and, and now able to come back. Some folks here, maybe you're here this morning, for you sojourn has been, you've been on a sojourn from fellowship. Just the church and the busyness of life and the problems that came during the last few years have have put the church away from your life. And God's bringing you back in this moment. Well, Joseph experienced that. And like most folks, sojourns usually begin problematically. It's a drought. It's a hurricane. It was judgment for the people of God who went and sojourned in Babylon that we've been looking at for the last several weeks. Well, for Joseph, most of us can relate to Joseph. His sojourn was a sojourn that began with rejection from the people that were most important to him. Right now, many of us here are living in some element of that. More so than probably the Katrina stuff. If I were to talk to you about the real issues in your life, Katrina gets some headlines personally. But I bet if you're like Joseph and you've been rejected by your family and the people who mattered to you the most have ostracized you and pushed you out of your life and you've lived in the fallout of that, I bet that's more real to you than anything that happened with Katrina. But that's what ends up happening to Joseph. You remember Joseph's story? Joseph is the 11th child of Jacob, known as Israel in the Old Testament. Twelve children born to Israel. Um, Joseph's number 11. He is dad's favorite. 
Now you can imagine, this is a blended family, right? You have multiple mothers who are raising these children, and dad has a great idea to choose a favorite. <laughs> I'm sure that went over well. Well, we all know it didn't go over well. It created a very complicated family for Joseph to be a part of. When he was younger, it probably went to his head, messed him up in certain ways there. When he gets older, he's an amazing man, an amazing man. But before he gets to be too old, his brothers have had enough of him. And at the ripe old age of 17 years old, they finally find the moment to get rid of this guy. Dad sends Joseph to go check on his brothers. They're about 60 miles away from home. What an opportunity. And these schemers come up with a plan. First to kill him. They're going to kill Joseph. But in the providence of God, they're not going to kill Joseph. God steps into that moment and God interrupts what would have been death for Joseph. And instead, along come these Midianite traders, Arabian traders. Now, you've got to see the fingerprint of God on this. Because he should have been dead, but, but God's purposes are tied up in this man. So he's not going to die. But he actually needs to go to a certain location. Well, Midianite traders, they're Arabians. They could have been going anywhere. But they come along and they strike a deal with the brothers and they sell Joseph. He could have gone east into Arabia. Into where a famine was coming. And... Perhaps we'd have never heard from Joseph again. But in, in the providence of God, he doesn't go east. He ends up going southwest. And the Midianite traders take him into Egypt. Remember when he gets into Egypt, they decide, let's make some money off this guy. So they sell him. They sell him as a slave. He's bought by a man named Potiphar. Now he's a young guy, he's 17 years old, and he goes to work for this man named Potiphar. What's amazing, this is where the character of Joseph is simply amazing. Because when he lands as a slave, being sold away from his family... He goes to work. This guy's got an incredible attitude. He begins to serve Potiphar, begins to advance within Potiphar's household. He's well-trusted by his master. He's given great responsibilities. And you remember the rest of the story. Unfortunately, Potiphar's got a problematic wife. And his wife begins to get attracted to Joseph and kind of starts to make advances toward him. And out of his love for God, Joseph will not participate. And he shuns this woman. And she takes revenge on him by creating lies and has him thrown in jail. So for the next years of his life, we don't know how long Joseph was actually in a dungeon, just living in a dungeon, having once been a part of a great family. Now here he is in a foreign land living in a dungeon for at least, we know, two or more years. But could have been four, five, six years of his time spent there. But even there in a dungeon... This man takes on responsibility. He begins to care for people. They put him in charge of the prisoners. And he begins to minister to the, remember the cupbearer and the baker who are there. And he ministers to those folks and he shares revelation from God. He explains to them understanding from God and he highlights the fact that it's God who gives highlight or gives insight into your life. Now what an amazing thing that in Joseph's life, he's a man who never departs in his heart from his vision of God and the faithfulness of God. He's been rejected by his family. They wanted to kill him. They sold him as a slave. He goes into slavery. They lie about him. He gets worse. He goes into a prison. He's rotting in some jail. And this, is, this, is not, uh, this is not the kind of prison that Al Hilton was at. You know what I'm talking about? Al, you remember your prison? I mean, that was a beautiful place, wasn't it? I mean, it was a country club. This is not the country club. This is some guy sitting, rotting on a, probably a stone floor with drainage problems and plumbing problems and everything else you can imagine in it. But yet what an incredible attitude this man has. 
after 13 years of being a slave and being in a dungeon, his moment comes. Now, there's a lesson to learn from this. Remember, there's coming a day now where Pharaoh gets himself in a jam. The king of Egypt, who is basically the biggest ruler in all the world, gets himself in a jam. There's been these dreams that he keeps having, and he can't figure out what they are. And the cupbearer remembers. There's this guy named Joseph. He interprets dreams. The Spirit of God is in his life. And they call for Joseph. Now, here's a lesson for us, an important lesson for us. You know, God, God's going to come for you at some point. At some point, your day, so I don't know if it's your day of destiny, but it's your moment when God decides right now. Now's your moment. Now, you, you may be sitting in a dungeon. You may have 13 years building up to that moment of nothing but bad getting worse. When God decides, now it's your day. I'm going to turn the whole world around, and you're the man. Now, what's important for the man of God in this moment is to remember, and this is important for us to remember. If you've got a dungeon mentality when God shows up in your life, I don't know how you respond to the call of God in that moment. I would dare say that in, somehow in the providence of God, that there may be moments in which God has shown up in our lives and our mentality has been a dungeon mentality. You know, things have gone from bad to worse and our gaze of God has gotten lost and now this is our world right here. And we're depressed and we're down and we're out and we're hard to be around. We're not people-oriented. We're self-oriented. And this is kind of our world. And in that moment, God shows up. Well, how much faith do you have to do something great in that moment? I don't even know if you have, even have ears to hear the call of God to do something great in that moment. Now, what's interesting for us, maybe, maybe our three years of what we've called these last three years, the Katrina funk, you know, kind of living in that Katrina funk, that soupy feeling of slowness and lethargy that's gotten all over us. But, you know, here we are as a church with a new day. You know, and if God decides now my, now's the time I'm showing up in your dungeon, now you guys got to stop thinking like you're in a dungeon because I've got something glorious to do in your lives. It's today. It's time for you to show up now. It's time for you to break out of that mold and not just be gazing at a little bitty small world that we've constructed around ourselves because God's doing something. Now, I, I want to focus in on just something for just one moment. Turn to... Genesis chapter 41. This was not intentional, but I, I could not have put up with the years of grief I would have gotten had I preached the first message in this pulpit and not had it been from Genesis. Amen. I know you're wondering who that grief would have come from, but... I would have come back from the grave years from now and reminded me. God started in the beginning. You see, he started to say it. I beat you to it. All these years, you're predictable now. God started in the beginning. We should start in the beginning. All right. All right, Paul, Paul, here we are. We're in the beginning. 41 chapters into the beginning. Is that all right? Is that close enough to the beginning? <laughs> Genesis 41, verse 46. This is, this is his emergence into what God has for Joseph, his rise to power in Egypt. Verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 
And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. Remember, that was, that was the revelation that God gave to Joseph to interpret the dreams. There'd be seven years of great abundance. And after that, there'd be seven years of great famine. And God gave Joseph revelation in how to preserve life during those years of famine by preparing for it during the years of abundance. Verse 48. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt, and he put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from fields around it, and Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand in the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Now now listen to these words. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship in all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now, just knowing a little bit about what brought Joseph to this moment, those are two amazing names for him to choose to characterize his life. What he spoke of his life in this sojourn, for him, this sojourn was a place of, write this down, freedom, forgetting, and fruitfulness. The land of sojourn, with all of its difficulty, with all of its temporary dynamics, with all that it interrupted, because sojourn interrupts something, was a land of freedom, it was a land of forgetting, and it was a land of fruitfulness. Now, what I love about Joseph, what I love about the character in this man, is in spite of all the hardship, and his hardship could be held up next to ours easily. You put yourself in his position and what he experienced, the the rejection and probably the years of difficulty that were in his father's house. But yet, he's, he's free from those things. I love that about what God did in this man's life. Listen, what is too often the tragedy of our lives, especially in these sojourns, where we go off into something that, that it's difficult to us. It's hard for us to process. And it's not just because the economy is hard. It could be a relationship that's hard, something that's failed terribly, some season of great difficulty physically for us. Well, in the midst of that, sometimes those events sort of put a leash on us. And, and then we end up living the rest of our lives sort of within a few feet of that event. We don't drift far from it. It, it, it sort of guards our joy. It steals from us. It's a reference point for us. Our minds easily and quickly go there. And we just don't experience freedom from that. Not so for Joseph. He, he names his first son a word that describes his ability to forget. Now listen, I don't in any way mean that, and I don't think this verse means this, that Joseph all of a sudden sort of suffered from some amnesia type event where, you know, I don't, you know, this wasn't Jason Bourne or something. He wasn't trying to figure out who am I? I don't know who I am. How did I get here? Uh, he knew who he was. As a matter of fact, he knew who he was so much that he, that he called his father's house a place of hardship. He, he did remember the events there. 
He called the sojourn land that he lived in a place of affliction. So it wasn't as though he couldn't remember, but these things did not define him. Now listen, there there are some of us here this morning that need to hear that God is able to do that. God has made me forget. God is able to do that. Listen, you don't need to be here as a believer having your life defined by who your mom and dad were or were not, by who that person was, how your family or how some person treated you or how some event went on in your life. That does not need to define you. God can make you to forget. And not only that, but God can make you fruitful. Ephraim meant that God had made him fruitful, and he was. Everywhere he went, this man was fruitful. He shows up as a slave, and he benefits and blesses the guy who owns him. And you think, if, if I went from being favorite son with my cool coat, I don't have to work. I go and find the other guys who are working, tell them what to do. This is a great gig. And I get thrown into Egypt, and I become a slave. I don't know how many years I'm going to pout. I don't know how many years you're going to barely get any work out of me. You own me, but you don't own me. Well, he gets there and he begins to work and he's a blessing and he's fruitful to his boss. He gets into the dungeon. (laughs) Who wants to be fruitful in a dungeon? We see this is something about godliness at work in our hearts. It doesn't select when it turns itself on and off. You know, godliness wants to be on all the time. So here he's in a dungeon and he's going to be fruitful there so much so that they put him in charge of the dungeon. And he blesses the people that are there. And interesting, this is, a, this is a warning for us. It may be that the day of fruitfulness in the dungeon is the pathway out of the dungeon. Right? If he's sitting in the corner, folding his arms, got a bad attitude, I don't want to talk to anybody, cupbearer, I don't care who you are. Yeah, I know your dream, I ain't telling you. <laughs> it's a jail, dude. Have you forgotten? Every man for himself. And the cupbearer gets out. Does he say anything to Pharaoh two years later? Not a thing. See, it was his fruitfulness in the jail that produced his day of destiny before Pharaoh. And then before Pharaoh, listen, can you imagine this little 17-year-old boy got rejected by his family, goes down to Egypt. Some nobody becomes the second most powerful man in the world. That's quite a destiny that God has for him. But you know, I think what was incredibly important for Joseph was his ability to keep God in focus. In the midst of this sojourn, this is a man whose character, I have to say, I believe his character is unmatched in the entire Bible. Apart from Jesus Christ, I don't think anybody's got the resume this guy has. After all that he went through, God didn't change in his mind at all. Wouldn't you be tempted to think something differently about God? You're in a dungeon. You've been rejected by your family. You've been lied about. Wouldn't you be tempted to think differently about God in that moment? He does not. The shadow of God's greatness and faithfulness for him was going to define his life. And at the end of these many years, he still manages to say, God has caused me to forget and God has made me fruitful. This is a man who has reflected and remembered God skillfully. Skillfully. Now, I just want to make a quick note about this. There's an important thing for us to remember. You write this down. Remembering is a skill to be developed and practiced. Remembering is a skill to be developed and practiced. Do not think for a moment that you remember well. 
So here's the great dilemma for most of us. Skillful remembering is different than accidental, unintentional remembering. That's what most of us do. Right? Most of us just accidentally remember stuff. Whatever just comes to mind. Well, see, you know, the difference between the Bible and the way in which we think. See, we, we just kind of, we untether our mind, let it drift through the countryside, just absorbing whatever comes to it. So whatever comes to mind, that's what's on the agenda today. So if I start feeling a certain way and I have a conversation and I add some imagination to that, all of a sudden, that's what came to mind and that's how I feel today. Well, the Bible's different than that. The Bible tells us to call things to mind. It doesn't just say let things come to mind. It says to call things to mind. So there's a skill here that actually needs to be practiced. We need to be intentional about what we call to mind. We've just been through three years, interesting three years. I want us today... We're going we're to celebrate communion in just a moment. I want us today to call things to mind from those three years. I want us to skillfully remember the faithfulness of God through these last few years. And beyond that, to bring us to this place. See, when God led his people, remember in Deuteronomy? You can, you can maybe turn here real quickly with me. Deuteronomy chapter 4. God warns his people, there's a danger for every one of us that we let our minds get out of control, right? Have you guys figured that out yet about yourselves? The most dangerous thing about you is where you let your mind go. Because your mind, it'll take you into misery. It'll take you into joy. So if you decide to just let it wander wherever it wants to go rather than directing it, well, you're going to end up with a very difficult life to enjoy, But God is intentional. There's certain things that need to be highlighted for us. After 40 years of the Israelites wandering, their sojourn of 40 years, they're about to go into the promised land. And Deuteronomy, remember, Deuteronomy is the pep rally on the way in. It's God reminding them. He's setting the ground rules and he's reminding them all that he's taught them. Listen, he says this to them in Deuteronomy 4, verse 9. He says, only take care and keep your soul diligently. Lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life, make them known to your children and your children's children. In several places in Deuteronomy, God is going to use that term, lest you forget. See, we are prone to not remember. I'm especially prone to that recently. I told you guys that. I'm having all kinds of remembering problems. But we have a problem in this category in that God has done some things that you and I must be busy calling them to mind. God has done some things before we ever ended up in this three-year sojourn. Those things need to be kept in mind. They need to be kept in mind when you're in the three years God has done some things during the three years that have simply been extraordinary. We're going to hear a couple of testimonies in just a moment of what God has done during this time. We need to store these things up. These are are the things that we're going to need to remember in days ahead and be intentional and be skillful in remembering. Not be accidental, but be skillful in remembering. Let me look at one other verse with you. Psalm 78. Probably get appreciation from Matt for using the Psalms today. See, I'm just trying to make sure the first message butters everybody up. Jeff's just, he's easy to please. Yeah, he's nearly as dogmatic as these other guys are. 
And Pete, Pete can't understand anything we're saying anyway, so. I don't know if you noticed, but Pete's got an earpiece in. So if you guys want to know the Saints game score a little bit later. I know you're not talking to anybody around here with that thing, are you? Uh, this is not the service where Pete gets roasted, in case you're wondering. That's coming, though. That's coming. This is just a warm-up for that one. <laughs> you don't have to love him today. You'll have a chance to love him later. Psalm 78. Listen to what God says about how careful we need to be about what we remember. Verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. This is a a very interesting passage. I don't want to get into any details of it, but just for a moment. this This is why you take notes every time the word of God is open. Not because today I'm going to share something with you that you've never heard before. No, that's not why. Because the Word of God calls on us to listen to things that are old, that we absolutely have heard before. But how many of you have realized as you've walked with God, I hear this now and I didn't hear it before. But you heard it before, didn't you? Well, sure I did. But now it's jumping off the page at me. Well, this morning, something can be jumping off the page at you that didn't jump off the page last week. And it's not because I just introduced a new book called Deuteronomy. Hey, Deuteronomy's new. It's a new edition to the Bible. Everything in it you've never heard. Wow, really? No, you've heard most anything we've got to say. You've already heard. But when God gets a hold of that in your life, see, intentionally, God says, say the things that are of old. Remind us. Because we need to skillfully remember certain things. Verse 4, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. But keep his commandments. Listen, I think those two are back to back for a reason. When you begin to forget the works of God, I believe you begin to stop wanting to keep his commandments as well. There's something about remembering the faithfulness of God to us that motivates our obedience. Verse 8, and they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Now listen to verse 9. The Ephraimites, armed with the bow, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. And what was the effect of it? Well, the effect for Ephraim was they were armed, but they were not dangerous. They had great equipment, 
We got great equipment, don't we? We know so much. Today, I think Christianity is more armed with information than it's ever been armed, perhaps in the history of the kingdom of God. But the question is, are we armed and dangerous? Are we armed with the remembrance of God's faithfulness, God's works, God's wonders? See, because when I'm armed with the wonders of God and I step into a situation that seems intimidating, I don't take my bow and go home. I don't back down from that moment. See, I'm, I'm ready for battle because I know something about God. I'm impressed with God. God's done some amazing things and I'm remembering that and it's active in my mind. So I don't back away. Now listen, guys, are, are we ready here? Are we ready to take some risks for the glory of God? Are we ready to face difficulty? Are we ready to advance the kingdom against the powers of darkness, against the resistance that's in, built into the human heart? Are we, are we armed? Are we just armed with information, but we're not dangerous? Not dangerous to advance the kingdom of God. Listen, what, what we want to be as a church is, is we want to be dangerous for the kingdom of God. And according to these verses, you get dangerous by remembering the awesome works of God. See, remembering takes skill. If I just let go of my remembering, I'll remember some of the most ridiculous and useless things. Accidental memory for me just takes me into the worst places. I don't dwell on the greatness of God. And in the moment when I need to get ready to go for God, don't come knock on my door while I'm in the dungeon. I'm too busy complaining and gazing at my navel and figuring out what I could have done differently and why he said that to me. And he looked at me that way after he he said that to me. You know, my whole world is about this big right now. And God comes and says, hey, I'm I'm ready for you to be number two man in the whole universe. You know, 13 years. And my my dad didn't. had a cool coat with my brothers. You know, that's how we're living. When God comes and says, I'm, I'm ready to launch something. So you and I, you know, sometimes we don't realize this, but you and I are living in the good of Joseph's life. I mean, do you realize the role this man plays? See, he saw it when he told his brothers later and revealed himself to him. He says, you know, you guys, you, you guys, you sold me here. But don't cry because God sent me here. To preserve life. Actually, I don't think that, you know, some of the translators believe that when Pharaoh renamed Joseph and gave him an Egyptian name, he called him like Zapanath Panea. Some folks believe that means savior of the world. That's a pretty big role, huh? Well, he kept the line of the Messiah alive. In just a moment, you and I are going to celebrate communion. If Joseph's not a man in the dungeon who says yes to God because he sees God and he remembers God, then the lineage of the Messiah dies in a famine. What an incredible role this man plays in the activity of God. Now, let me just highlight something before we get ready for communion here. Remembering, skillfully remembering, it it brings to our lives some much-needed context. It brings to our lives information. See, if we're, if we're not careful, you get this temporary stay, this sojourn thing going on. Now, listen, how many of us have been tempted to do this? We enter into a season of our lives, season of health that's failing, season of failing relationships, whatever, change of life. We enter into this season and we begin to start defining God out of that season. 
If God doesn't answer this prayer by next week, then, then God is not faithful. If God doesn't meet me and relieve the pain in my life, then God is not the God who I thought he would be. And we begin to formulate our definition for God out of our little season here. Listen, and I probably have told some of you guys this in moments like that. God is not defined by your moment. You can't bring enough data with you to define God out of your experience over the last two years, over the last 15 years. You can't bring enough information to define God. See, what you need to do is you need to bring information into your moment about God that's already true about him. That's what Joseph did. That's what made such a huge difference in his life. Listen, these, these moments, this is true. This is true across the board in several categories, whether it's, it's the truth about God or it's, it's just God bringing revelation to us that affects how we live in our sojourn moment. Right? The other day, I'm downloading some pictures. I hadn't downloaded a camera. That our camera is full of pictures from over a year. So I'm downloading and I'm looking back over a year's worth of events. You ever do that? told my wife, you know, I need to get one of those frames where you just plug those things in and just, it just rotates the digital frames because importing that into my moment. And then I was in the car the day after that and I'm, I'm listening and Stephen Curtis Chapman comes on with his torture song for parents. I dance with Cinderella. Have you listened to this song? You should not have access to a razor blade when that song is playing. You just drain your wrist and just, you know, let it be over. I dance, with, I dance with Cinderella while she is here in my arms because I know something the prince never knew. That one day, how's the rest of it going? One, one day the clock will strike midnight and she'll be gone. I just want to hit the guy when he gets to that point. It's like I almost sometimes have to turn the, just turn the radio. I'm not listening to that. I'm not even going there. But you know what it does into my moment of I'm, I'm busy. I got 500 things going on. There's stuff on my mind. And I walk into my room and here's my kids. And my name is being called stereophonically from three other voices. Dad, 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 dad. Uh, and I just want to respond poorly in that moment. You know, I don't know what your opinion of your pastor is. But in that moment, it's just not a comfortable exchange. You know, it's kind of like, stop, stop, stop. Everybody go away. Just go away. Well, I dance with Cinderella helps me in that moment. Because one day they're going to go away. And I'm not going to be happy at all about it. And one day no one's going to be calling my name. I'll be glad if they call me on the phone. See, when I bring that thought into my moment, see, it affects my little temporary stay there in I'm busy and you bothering me. It, it, it just bringing that in helps me. See, well, there's something about God sometimes. You've got to bring something in from God into your moment. You have to skillfully remember. Now listen this morning. If we can go ahead and, and get prepared for communion. I want us to skillfully remember this morning the incredible faithfulness of God to us. And, you know, to help us do that, I mean, guys, you you just, you look around and you think of where we were just three years ago. And, you know, I'm remembering the moment where... I begin to get all these text messages while we were in Houston, Texas. My phone couldn't take phone calls, but it could take text messages. And over a couple of days, text messages of one family after another saying, we're not going to be able to come back. 
Our business is relocating. Relatives emailing us saying, we're not going to come back. And I remember looking at my wife. It's almost funny to say it now. (laughs) I remember looking at her and saying, babe, who are we going to care for when we come home? Who's going to be left? (laughs) More people for a new building. More people than we can see. That's who's going to be left, idiot. (laughs) She didn't say that. She should have, but... uh... But, you know, what God is doing in our midst represents something worth remembering. Ten years from now, we'll be used to this. This unique season in our life will have come and gone. And and we will need to be able to skillfully remember what God did back there. Because we'll face something ten years from now that looks like, oh my, what do we do now? How do we face this? I can look in that in that moment and drain out every bit of information I know about God or I can import into that moment defining revelation about God that brings me a sense of, no, no, I've seen God in this moment before. I remember. And, and many of you have got stories here. And that what we, want, we wanted to do this over the, the next few weeks together is to, to let some of the experiences that you guys had to be a part of Remembering, you guys could hold on. Hold on, communion for one second, guys. I've got, I've got, I've got three folks I want to ask, and if they're going to have to be very succinct, I know we've tried to ask you to do that. But I, I want you to hear from a few folks who are here, who the last three years, um, the faithfulness of God made all the difference in the world in some ways for them. So um, let me ask Pam Hemel. Pam, where are you, Pam? If you could come up and let us in on why you are thankful for the faithfulness of God in your life. So I believe that microphone is on. Guys, is that on? This is a little scary. <laughs> for those that don't know me, is this one? my name is Pamela Hemo. And I would like to thank God and honor him for his faithfulness over the past three years to me and my family. God has not only brought me to know him, but also my entire family during this period of exile. It all started with an invitation to attend the Alpha Course via a door hanger in 2006. I learned more in the first night of Alpha about the Bible, the promises of God, the cross, and Jesus Christ than I had in all my life. For the first time, Jesus became real to me. I understood that it was my sin that had nailed him to the cross and that he paid the ultimate ransom for me, despite all of my sin. He drew me to him, and I surrendered my life to him. That alone is worthy of all glory and honor to his name. But our God is in the miracle business. He began a mighty work in my life and was shaking the ground underneath me. No longer did I feel compelled to the partying, drinking, promiscuity lifestyle. I began to take responsibility for my actions, and God became my drink of choice. My house became a house of God. My children prayed to receive Christ as their Savior, and together we became light and pure darkness that surrounded us. As God was transforming our lives, others began to feel the aftershocks of the earthquake taking place. 
ending relationships that needed to end and restoring those that were in all us instead. My ex-husband Ray saw these changes and out of curiosity came to one Lakeview service. He is now attending Lakeview on a regular basis, has surrendered his life to Christ, attends covenant group, and even shares. <laughs> wow. For me to be able to watch this major transformation in someone else is a sight to behold and only reiterates how gracious and merciful God is. But the Lord wasn't through. Five months ago, the Lord brought Ray and me back together again. He has not only restored a relationship, but in December this year, he will join us together as husband and wife again. fleshly side of me can't even begin to describe how this happened, but I can testify that the Lord has brought the dead to life. (laughs) So as I reflect on the faithfulness of God over this season of exile in my life, I I stand in awe of his goodness and mercy and loving kindness to not only me, but to so many around me. I stand before you in a brand new building. That took only one year to build. But because of the faithfulness of God over several years, I not only have a church family to call home, but I have a complete family in the eyes of God. do this, I'm going to ask the other guys if you wouldn't mind letting me make use of you in one of the coming weeks for because I want us to give attention to communion. Uh, but I want to highlight something about Pam's story. Pam lives in a part of the metro area where we don't deliver door hangers unless you're building floods and you have to relocate. She lived in Metairie. We didn't, we didn't bring door hangers to where she lived until we had to relocate to Metairie and hold church there. And then we began to distribute door hangers near the location of where the Alpha was. See, without this event that dislocated us, that door hanger never gets on her door. Isn't it amazing how Midianite traders can come along at just the right time in the providence of God? See, now, that's something to skillfully remember next time. Next time your home has nine feet of water in it. (laughs) I had Donna Hilton walk up to me during the break and say, you know, when they were evacuated to Alabama, and she said, and I'm watching these images of this great flooding. She said, and the thought came to me, God must be up to something really big. Pretty big, huh, Pam? (laughs) 
Well, if it was just for Pam, wouldn't we? Wouldn't be? We'd be cool. We'd be cool with those, those events if it was just for Pam. Today we're going to celebrate communion. You guys can come on back, communion folks. You know, remember what communion was? Communion is the biblically established meal of remembrance. Remember what Jesus said about communion when he inaugurated this meal? He actually borrowed the imagery and the practice from the Passover meal, which itself was a meal of remembrance. It was the time in which God had passed over judging the people of God. And he said, eat this meal and remember every year what I did. See, God's into calling to mind certain things. That's why when Jesus inaugurated this meal, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And listen, everything we're celebrating, everything we're celebrating, everything we're about for the next hundred years in this place is made possible because of one thing. Because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. There's no party here this morning if we're not forgiven and we don't have a future and a hope. There's no party here. This is just a building. And we're all destined to judgment. But we're here this morning and all this is part of a much bigger revelation. That even this, guys, even this causes us to remember this too is temporary. Because the death of Christ purchased for us an eternal home in the heavens. We're sojourning even today here. This is a temporary place. So when we remember this morning, what I want us to do is you're coming up to take communion this morning. I believe we're just going to ask you guys to come by rows. When you come up to get the elements, I want you to return to your seats. And I, and I, I want you to do some hard, disciplined mental work. I want you to intentionally remember. I want you to call to mind. I want you to think on the faithfulness of God. And you, you have permission to go outside the last three years. But even if you just thought on the last three years... Be specific and intentional. And most importantly, let's remember the one thing we want to always import into this moment is the cross. Into every moment of our life comes this incredible work that puts our relationship right with God today. That's worth remembering. I don't, you know, I don't, how many of you guys, your stocks have tanked? <laughs> right? it, your mind will go there if you let it, won't it? You're thinking about your retirement fund looks like a weekend event now, doesn't it? <laughs> My wife and I, I guess we'll go to the beach for a weekend and we'll be done with all that money. Now you can call that to mind or you can call to mind the cross this morning and the future you have and the hope you have that didn't get one bit affected, not one bit affected by the stock market last week. So can we come up by Rose and begin to get the elements of communion and go ahead and return to your seats with them and, and we're going to take them together. So if you'll just hold on to them.
want your enemy. Want your enemy. Now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. scattered throughout our lives that are gathered here this morning are stories of your faithfulness to us that are worth remembering and calling to mind Lord, even as we have taken a moment just to pause and consider you have been so good to us That's true in so many categories, Lord, whether it is those who stood just a few moments ago because you saved them in the last three years, those who stood celebrating the gift of marriage and the gift of life against the backdrop of difficulties, you have been so good to us. And we do want to hear those stories, Lord, and we want to take them in and we want to hold on to them. But Lord, what we hold in our hands right now represents the favorite story of them all. The day the God of glory dressed himself in human flesh so that he would have blood to spill 
and a body to be broken so that our sins could be forgiven. Lord, this is the story we want to make sure we are always remembering and telling it to our children and our children's children that they might set their hope in God. Lord, thank you that today this is a room filled with people who have hope. Lord, and hope not because we have jobs, not because the government's doing something right. Lord, not even hope because we have a building to gather in once again. Hope, Lord, because of you. Yes. You are in our lives. That was Joseph's hope. Over and over again in his story, God was with him. And Lord, that was enough. It's enough for us today, Lord. Lord, thank you for the gift that this building represents to us. But Lord, this building does not eclipse our favorite story this morning. The day you died in our place to forgive us of our sins. This morning, Lord, that's what we remember. As we take the bread, let's take the bread together. Lord, in our hands, this cup, as we just sang, your blood has washed away my sins. Lord, that blood was more powerful than Manasseh and Ephraim and what you did with Joseph. God, I pray this morning. God, I pray for us as a church. I pray for days ahead that your blood would find the reality in our hearts that causes us to say like Joseph, Lord, your blood cleansing me has made me to forget the hardship of my father's house. And it has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. God, Joseph said that, and he had not experienced the blood of Christ washing away his past. We have. Lord, would you make this church to be a church where there's dancing and celebration and joy in your presence forevermore? God, would you make us to be a people who demonstrate to the world how to live without hang-ups? <laughs> what, a, what a beacon of hope that'll be. But Lord, we hold in our hands the reason why it's true. Because your blood has washed away our sins. That's what we remembered this morning. Let's take the cup. You know, an amazing thing about the gospel is it is a message that, on the one hand, reduces us to tears and in the next moment causes us to rejoice. It's a strange little thing, isn't it?
So I asked Matt this morning if he could make sure it help us to be both sobered by the gospel, but to leave here celebrating the gospel. You ready to do that? Let's stand up. Let's see how this place can rock for the glory of God.
We'll see you all here next week. God bless you.